2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. Gospel Junkies, Justin here, and I have some good, good news. If you've been a fan of the podcast for any length of time, you've probably heard mention of this thing that's called Wave One, and we're bringing it back. Here are the details. August 18 to 25, we will be hosting a completely digital Wave One experience, the original Free From Sin series with the one and only Jonathan Leonardo every single night. At 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, we will be hosting a live Free From Sin Wave One event, and it's happening, you guessed it, for free. So book your calendars, tell your friends because the Holy Spirit is on the move. The event will be invite only, which means if you want the link, you need to do this next step. Text the words WAVE1 to 808-204-4372. That's W-A-V-E-1, all one word, to 808-204-4372 in order to reserve your spot. If you have a friend that needs good gospel, this is the event for them. Who even knows? Maybe you inviting them to Wave 1 might be the starting point for a future DTL episode. So spread the word, and I'll see you there. A lot of people don't believe the gospel can change your life. We have evidence it can. Death to Life shares testimonies of radical transformation. Stories of people getting freed from and healed from sin so you can hear, believe, and be transformed by Jesus. This is Death to Life. They grew up in a happy home. You know, you, they knew what they looked like as a baby. I had no idea. You know, they had love and family, and I had to basically fight for scraps. I heard, but you're not an orphan. (laughs) And I stopped and I was like, what am I doing? Like, I need to believe that's already been done. Yo, welcome to the Death of Life podcast. My name is Richard Young. And today's podcast is with my boy Brad. But before we get into the podcast, uh, I, I think I want you to share this with a friend. If this podcast has blessed you, think of an episode that touched you and send it to a buddy, send it to a pal. 
so that they can see that they too are free from sin. That's what we want. We want to get this thing out here. So pause this right now. Pause it. You didn't pause it. Pause it now. Actually, don't pause it now. Wait and think about three people you want to send this to. Three people. Now pause it and go send it to those people. We'll wait. Okay, we're back. Brad, uh, I recorded this with Brad in my uh, <laughs> in my guest room slash studio, so you might hear me in the background because uh, we're in the room together. And it was just fun to record with him. Um, he is a testimony that God is love. And I love this guy. He's been living just here in uh, in Tennessee with me. And he's been a great, big, huge part of my life. He's moving. He's leaving me. And we had to get this story before he moved. We had to get it in person. Uh, I think you're going to love it. It's beautiful. So let's just jump into it. Uh, you're going to hear Brad buckle up strap in. Ian, love y'all. Appreciate y'all. I I was born in Ukraine. Um, a little town called, probably pronounce it wrong now, but Kriby Roh. Yeah. <laughs> Say that again? Kriby Roh. But you got to like... <laughs> <laughs> Is that... What What letters are the... <laughs> it's like G-H... Okay. But there's an actual, like, alphabet that makes that noise. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, um, I was born there. What? You were born there. Um, yeah. To Who were your parents? Uh, so, my mom was, um, don't know much about her. I actually first time saw a picture of her when I was 14. Um, but she... Um, I think my dad was never part of her life. It was just, I think they just had a relationship. I don't know much about him, but, Mm -hmm. um, they, she had to basically let us go into the orphanage. My brother, me, and my sister. Um, but my sister went to, um, like her grandparents, I guess. I, I don't really know. I just know that the oldest goes to the family. So you're the youngest? Yeah. So your mom are these half brothers, half sister? Do you know? Um, you know, I don't know. When I first I think me and my brother look identical. Um, my sister not so much, so I don't know. When was the last time you saw your brother? Uh when I was dropped off at the airport to come to US. Okay. What are your your first memories were you don't have any memory of this lady? No. But my very first memory that I is very strong that I don't know if it's real or not, but was I was in a room with my brother and my sister and the police was there. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had to get in a police car and they took us to the orphanage and dropped us off. Um Yeah, that was that was the first memory. And you okay. So, do you know how old you were when you went to the orphanage? Probably like two, three. So, your first memories, like legit, are in an orphanage? Yeah. yeah. In Ukraine. What language did you speak? Uh, I think it's Russian. I think what I grew up hearing um, in the orphanage, they say that you got to learn Russian 
Because if you go over to Russia speaking Ukrainian, uh, you get jumped or there's some type of beef <laughs> between Ukraine and Russia. Is there? I haven't heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, they, they, I think I spoke Russian. Did you ever learn any Ukrainian or was it just? It's Russian? very similar. I think it's kind of like Spanish. There's just how you pronounce their certain things, certain words. But it's, if you speak Ukrainian or Russian, you, you could have a conversation. How many kids lived in this orphanage? Like, like when I think of the orphanage, I think of like the movie Oliver Twist, which is like this old, old, like a bunch of kids and it looks pretty terrible. Was it like that? Like describe. Yeah, it was probably like a jail cell. <laughs> I, uh, all we had was, uh, grass, dirt and concrete and one slide with fence, metal fence around. And that was it. And you were in a room with probably like 20, 30 kids, the bed, about a foot apart. Um, everybody behind you, in front of you, in a big oh. room. And, um, yeah, you ate together, showered together. Yeah. Wow. How, how long did you stay at the orphanage? Uh, eight years. Well, if I was dropped out of two, six years, but yeah. So was, that's not like a short amount of time. Like, nah. This is your childhood. Yeah. Your childhood was in this orphanage. Um, like, were you in school there? Like, usually start school at five. Like, did they, like, did you go off to school and come back to the orphanage? What was that like? So they uh, usually start you off with pre K and K in the orphanage. Somebody would come in and like teach you the basic stuff. And they would pick a select handful to go to the public school where you would walk every day. And it was me and three others that was selected. Um, so every day you'd go, it was my first grade. Um, and you'd go and just go to normal class. Um, and then you just come back. But that's if you were one of the elect. But a lot of the kids I was with are, were very sick. So they probably couldn't be out public. Was this orphanage ran by the state? Pretty sure, yeah. Was the food, like, were you, like, was it healthy? Were no. Um, so, I barely ate, basically, and that uh, they punish you by not feeding you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so terrible. <laughs> but I, so to give you a reference, when I was adopted, I was eight years old, about to be nine. Um, I was about 40 pounds. And my cousin here was three years old and he was 40 pounds. I'm trying to think like, how much does John John weigh? Like in comparison, like, were you smaller than John John? Probably. John John six. Were you smaller? Like then obviously you were smaller than Nola. Yeah. No. Yeah. You would see like rib cage. My bones were bent. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So when you, did you hear you were getting adopted? Like how did that work? So the process always goes like this. Um, you're just chilling, kicking it with everybody. And then a lady would come be like, hey, you have a parent or a person come or interested in you. Um, you go and hang out with them in the room. And then they'll say, hey, in 30 days, we'll come back, pick you up. And then that's usually they come back. Then you go with them. Did you have a few people that you did that with or just uh, 15? 15 people. Yeah. 
From what was the earliest? Like how old were you at the first time? I think I was like four that I could remember specifically. Do you remember like if you were like excited like the first couple times? Like the that there was few, a yeah, but then it just became a routine. And um, when they came back, I would just be like, nah, <laughs> then that's not going to happen. Um, and so tell me about uh, the 15th time. Like, Yeah, I was in school. I was in class and they had to come take me out of class. And they were like, hey, your parents are here to pick you up. And I was like, well, like, I didn't know the whole process. I was like, nah. So then when we went over there, uh, they had to strip me because I couldn't take any clothes with me. Um, and then they had to provide clothes for me. Um, then they would take you. Yeah. And these people didn't speak your language? No. Their their side of the story is pretty pretty crazy, too. They said that they it was very like they wanted money. They uh, It was more like under-the-table stuff. So it was like a big shelf of books of just sick kids. And I was one of the healthy kids. So if you wanted a healthy book, you had to pay more. Oh, wow. Yeah. And apparently... They said my name was misplaced. And then when they saw that, they were like, what about this kid? And they were like, oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> he's uh, he's over here. Were you an angry kid? Like, do you remember what kind of kid were you? Um, Did you misbehave? I was a happy kid. I think I was just like, to me, I thought this was normal. Like everybody, every kid is like this. And you would, you kind of have to fight. They had in a lot of fights with other kids just for whatever like there was a truck i remember truck came with like milk and bread and you had to fight who gets the first love and yeah man but you seem like but you remember being pretty happy i wouldn't say happy but i was just kind of like <coughs> i was just kind of like it is what it is make the best of it um, but i i was still enjoying like playing soccer and stuff like so when you find out that you're going to go with these people, what is the mindset? Were you were you super excited? Yeah. Were you? I was. I was ready to get out, but I was had no idea what I in my I didn't even know those. I don't know where other countries were. I didn't know any countries, you know. So and they were like the only country I had in my mind was like Canada, because a lot of missionaries from Canada would come and like hang out with us and. And I thought Canada was like, Canada was like a drive away. <laughs> so when they're like, oh, we're from U.S., I was like, oh, cool. It's like next door to us, you know. So I thought I would be still local, but I had no idea I was going to like fly half across America. I mean, the world. <laughs> you thought you were just like going to the next town. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so then what happens, you would then go to the capital, Kiev, and you hang out for several weeks to do like paperwork, passport, and then you would and fly. Did you know anything about like different gods? Did you know anything about like, like what did you, I mean, you're eight at this time. Did you know like, why am I here? Like, did you think about any of those things? No, I didn't have any deep thoughts. I just went through the routine. Um, I, we, I do remember I was baptized in the Orthodox church. Um, they put a little cross on you, uh -huh. and then after they put a cross on you, they they take the cross from you, so you can't have it. Wow. Um, 
But you didn't think much about that? No, I knew there was a God because they did a lot of like children's stories to us. And the crazy part is there was a lady that came about six months prior to me again, um, uh, adopted, and she was Adventist. And she would come and they would, she would teach us about this. I had a little book about, like, coloring book about Jesus. And um, part of the reason that my parents were like, that they knew it was me because when they came, the very first thing I showed to them was this book about Jesus. Hmm. And they were like, yeah, this this the move. Hmm. So you spent a couple of weeks in Kiev and then you flew to North Carolina? like. So then you go to Warsaw, Poland, hang out there for a little bit. Um, and then once the papers, all that is good, then you, then you, I flew in, I think, Detroit and then Charlotte. So you're, what, how old are you, man? I forget how old you are. Uh, 29. So was the last time you really spoke Russian 20 years ago? Yeah. So when I came to the States, I made a huge goal that I won. I don't want to remember anything about it. Um, I don't want to remember the culture, the language, pictures, smells, nothing. I want no connection to the point where people are like, oh, where are you from? I'm like, Charlotte, you know. Is it is it because it was hard for you or is it because you, I mean, you said you thought it was pretty normal. Why did you make that change in your mind, like this distinction? Just because, um, I mean, there's a few times I knew this is not the place. Like I ran out, I ran away several times. Get caught, came back. Um, so I knew this was not a good place. But at the same time, there's nothing you could do. Like, so you had to just make the best out of it. Hmm. But when I came to the U.S., you know, I, my parents just had a little house and I thought they were millionaires, you know, and I was like, man, this is crazy. I had my own room. I was like, I have my own bed, you know, <laughs> like, this is my own clothes. Like, yeah. How long do you think it took for you to start speaking English pretty well? Several months I could come up with sentences in about six to nine months. I was pretty, pretty well. Did you feel like you had like a hard time with school and stuff like that or like? Yeah, I was homeschooled for the first six years just because a mom um, really wanted to spend more time with me and they, um, they thought that one one would have been better for me than if I went to school. They might have. They thought I might have like been made fun of, or I would have been slower at things. And so she was trying to kind of like catch me up because I was, I think, too old to be going back to first grade at nine years old. <laughs> Man, so tell me about um, these people because from everything you've said before, these sounds like these sound like wonderful human beings that. Mm or just filled with God's love and they wanted to have a son. Um, what were they teaching you? Like, talk to me about your parents. Yeah. So my parents were both dedicated their lives to work for the church. Um, they're very loving, very kind people who a lot of people look up to. Um, so I grew up with that being my foundation, really. I wouldn't say my childhood was the orphanage. I would say my childhood was, when I came to the U.S. Wow. Um, because, like I said, I buried that my life there so long ago that, like, even talking about it now, I still, it's hard for me, like, 
pick things up because I'm like, man, that's been such a long time. Um, but my parents, I think it's different because when you're born from a parent, you have no choice. Mm-hmm. Like you're just, that's your mom and dad. And you have, you can't be like, I want a different mom and dad. But when you're adopted, like you were picked and that's how I looked at them was kind of like a lot of respect, a lot of love. Um, to a point where I feel like I wish I could like pay them back or mm. do something back in return. And they wanted nothing but just my relationship with them and the love. Hmm. That's beautiful. So, um, as you're learning more about who God is from, from them and going to church, who, who was God as you're like adolescent into your teenage years? Um, I was definitely frustrated with the new concepts. Um, cause the concepts I was ra- raised and taught was, um, you go to heaven or hell, you know, and there's an in between part where you kind of have to, when you die, you have to kind of wait and see. Uh-huh. Um, you have to be a good person, obviously, to make it to heaven. And I remember when I would start to um, ask questions, um, they, I would, one of my first questions would be like, how do you know you'll make it to heaven? Like, what is it? And they're like, well, the kind of life you live. Like, if you live a good life, you know, if you dedicate your life and you love Jesus, you know, um, you kind of believe that you will make it, you know, mm-hmm. I was just like, I didn't, to me, that was not a good answer. Cause I was like, I still felt like I still had to like, earn it. Hmm. But, um, I definitely got at that point was like, Oh, Jesus is a good person. I love him to a point kind of like, but I didn't have a relationship. I didn't know what that looked like. It was just kind of like things are being thrown at me. This is Sabbath school, you know, camp meeting. And you're just go with the flow like, oh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> How did you feel about yourself? Like, um, what? when did you start going to, to academy? Did you start right up freshman year or did you yeah. um, like when you get to academy? How did you feel about yourself in relationship to all this and, and with God in the picture? Yeah, so I definitely, there was a lot of insecurities. My entire childhood was based on um, having to prove people that was worthy for your relationship and your time. Um, it was a lot of performance-based, I think, um, to the point where I didn't know where to fit in. So I would just, like, hop around, group friends, and just kind of like, is this it? Nah, this is it. And I was just trying to, like, popcorn, you know, just mm-hmm. trying to get here and there. Um, but there was a lot of like, I had this, I had this need of wanting to be chosen to be part of something still, hmm. even though I was still adopted, I was selected. I still, all my life was kind of like, I wanted to be chosen, hmm. but, um, the, the God, I, okay, what was the question again? Like, how'd you feel about yourself and how God felt about you? I was definitely, like I said, finding a lot of insecurities and didn't see myself as worthy, um, nor 
didn't have much to offer, not just the people around me, but to God, to myself. Um, and I was pretty much embarrassed of my past, um, to a point if anybody did mention like, oh, I didn't know you from Ukraine. I would, uh, I hate it. And I would just, what was embarrassing about it? Uh, cause a lot of these kids, I very envy them. They grew up in a happy home. You know, you would, they knew what they looked like as a baby. I had no idea. You know, they had love and family and I had to basically fight for scraps and I would be kind of angry when people would, when I see people in that lifestyle, I'd be like, so when they brought that up, I'd be very triggered. So you'd rather that nobody know anything about your past and you're just a kid from North Carolina? And- yeah, I would, I would even get upset even to my parents. Cause I remember the first time I got here, um, they really tried to like, keep up my language, keep up the culture. They're like, here, read this book or, oh, this lady, she's from Ukraine. Come and talk to her. And I, oh, I, I hated it. I wanted nothing to do with it. And the more it was thrown at me, the more resentment I had towards my past. And, mm. and people that did have a good life, I looked at them as like, yeah, I, I they're like my enemy almost. <laughs> like I very, was je- not jealous, but I, yeah, I was very angry. The fact that they had a good life and I had to live the way I did as a childhood. So how do you think you came across when, like, if I was at Pisgah at the same time, excuse me, I'm going to take that back. How do you think you would have come across if I would have went to academy or high school with you? What, what would you have looked like? A kid that was cocky, um, very arrogant, very... I come across as confident, but I carried myself very like I know it all or I'm the best at this. Um, but at the same time, who didn't know who he was? So you, it's very, it was very obvious that I carried myself in this weird sense, I guess. What was the cockiness coming from, you think? I think it was that nobody would give me the praise and the attention and the approval and the assurance, oh, you're good at this. So I would tell myself. And I would try to tell people, convince them that I'm, I'm good at this. Uh, did you really think you were good at it? Or were you just like, fake it till you make it? Or I, you know, I felt like I brought a lot to the table, especially with sports and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I didn't get that approval by others, then I'd be like, no, like, hear me out. I'm pretty good at this, you know? And... On the days that I was bad, then it would really be heavy on I me. Mean, because then I had nothing I could brag about. You know? right. Yeah, so talk to me about high school, man. What what happened? How were you growing? Just walk me, tell me the story. So yeah, the two main things I think in high school that meant the most to me was um, sports. That was my life. Um, and friendships and Try, I always felt like I had to have a girlfriend or a girl just because I, that was not, if I didn't have that, then I'm, I was a nobody. Right. And if I was not part of sports, then that was a nobody. Mm-hmm. So that was my two biggest part in my high school was that I really wanted to be star, I guess, the ones that, um, like my freshman year, I was, I just got there and we had a soccer team and I scored like the first goal. And everybody was like, oh, wow, you know, and then I was like, man, I am pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm really good at this. Then the rest of the season, I was trash. <laughs> <laughs> and 
then I was like, then I would like, oh, I'd beat myself up for the littlest, littlest things like, um, bad pass, you know, oh, I would, I would think about that pass for like a whole week. Um, like there was a time I was playing basketball and it was the last three seconds and I had an open lane to go drive in and do a layup, but I stopped, pull up a three, missed it. And we were all by, we lost by one. <laughs> and oh man, the whole team was so pissed at me. And I was like, that was like, took me forever to get over. Um, but that was my high school. It was like, why did you pull up for three, bro? Why didn't you just drive in for the lane? <laughs> I was a short kid, man. It was oh, so there much, were guys down there. Yeah. Not nobody was down there. I just, to me, I was way more accurate from the three than driving mm-hmm. in. I felt way more confident from outside, but, um, that was my, I could care less about school. I didn't do any work. Um, pretty, I probably got suspended several times, you know, just dumbest things. And, um, yeah, I, I hadn't, I didn't look at myself. I was like, there was a future ahead. I was just like living in the moment. So when you thought about the future, you're just like, you're not thinking about the future. Not at all. I, I could care less. <laughs> I'm yeah. If anybody was like, no, you know, you got to kind of start thinking about this your senior year and I'd be like, I guess, but see what happens. What would your folks say? Um, you know, I, I you know, it's really hard to, uh, to say. No, like what would they say to you? Uh, to me, that would just encourage me. They, my parents was such a, had so much patience for me because my middle school was really bad. I had a lot of anger to a point where. I contemplated on leaving the house, like running away mm-hmm. because I was so, I started growing up in this thing where I started looking at even the academy, where I started looking at the church and Jesus is like, you are forcing me to do this. Like the fact that Vespers and stuff, like, why I don't want to go. Why do I have to go? It's like something that is a requirement. So I started having this chip on my shoulder, very resentment against the church, God, and you know, this um, the routine that's that's been carried out, out. And my parents would always be like, hey, why are you wearing that? You can't wear that. Hey, you, you can't say that. You know, I remember the first time I said like a curse word in front of my parents, you know, and oh, they were devastated, you know, and I was just be like, it's, it's just a word, y'all, you know, I'm good, you know, and and they, they were having it. No, they're like, no, hear me out. Like, we're going to take you home out of this high school if you keep talking like this, you know, and I was like, all right, fine, you know, but yeah, that's that was my whole four years there. So when you're getting near graduation, did did your parents pretty much just make the plan for you? You're going to go over here, or were you like, what did you want to do? Did you want to go to public school? Um, I think for me, I think for me it was definitely wherever my clique of friends went. Um, I didn't really care if I was north, south, whatever. My parents, they kind of like, hey, Southern is close by. You know, it's a good place. And I was like, sure, why not? I didn't really care where I went. Um, but I was excited to leave. Like in boarding school, you know, you, I think I looked, to be honest, now that I'm thinking, I think I looked at the boarding school like an orphanage. Like mm-hmm. you're telling me what to do. I had to do this. I had to do that. I had to go in Retina when I ate, when I had to go to bed, couldn't even leave my room to go to the bathroom. Like it was like that. And I think I was so ready to get out and I pictured colleges like I'm free. I can do whatever I want. What did God think about you? 
in your mind or were you, did you consider that? Oh yeah. Um, because I had a pretty good foundation of, I guess the basics of what it takes to be a good Christian. Um, it was my goal to be the opposite. It was, I was always like testing the limits. I was kind of like, yeah, you're saying that if I act like this, God will be disappointing me. Like, all right, let's see how far I can go. So the, my picture of God was like a God who was disappointing me constantly. Kind of like, dude, I set you free and you're not living the life that you should be when you have been set free. And, and that made me angry just cause it's like, I don't want to prove to anybody, not even to God, what I deserve. But at the same time, deep inside, I truly did wanted to get the approval by God. So there was times where I would sometimes just like, I don't know, some moments I go to Vespers and it was a very hot, you know, type of Vespers where everybody's like in tears and stuff. And I get moved. I'm like, you know what? You can write God. I don't want to live like this no more. Like I want to stop. It will work for like three days where I start, you know, read my Bible consistently, pray a little bit more. And I'd, I'd have this like good feeling and people like, oh, wow, he's nicer. You know, he's starting to carry himself differently. But then it would go right back to normal. Um, so it was definitely I had this weird look at God as somebody who sat there with like shaking his head at me, just kind of waiting for me to be good. But you felt like guilty. Yeah. Of course, I had a lot of guilt for a lot of things I've done and said. And there was a lot of things I didn't say towards people that I knew I couldn't take back. So a lot of times what I did was was hard on myself. Kind of like, should have done that. And I took that out with the frustration in sports and working out and stuff like that. Um, and I desperately wanted people to see the good in me. Because... I think I had that deep inside of me somewhere, but because people didn't see that in me, so I did the opposite. I was like, well, I'm going to show you just how bad I was. Man, yeah, you were, you were an angry guy, dude. Yeah. Um, and you were angry. If you could aim the thing, like, what was the thing you were so angry at? My performance. Angry at yourself? Yeah. I didn't really care about nobody if somebody told me i was trash i'd be like that's fine um, you know but if i did something and i was trash then it would be at me so like you could have said anything wrong against me i would have been like whatever i don't care but the moment somebody said hey you're this and that's already something that i already thought about then i would have been pissed not at them but at myself kind of like dang if i see that by myself and you see that then it's got to be true as you're sitting here thinking about it now, did you feel like when you were Academy, you were like really, really far removed from your years in the orphanage or did you feel like it was? I'm pretty sure that was not any part of my identity in high school at all. I think there was like another kid that was adopted and he would kind of try to like connect with me. Like, Hey, me and you, he was from Russia, you know, and we, he tried to be like, me and you have a lot in common. I'd be like, nah, me and you have nothing in common. And I actually hated that kid a lot <laughs> just because <laughs> he was like brought in a side of part that I was like, I worked so hard to forget. And then he came in and kind of like brought it out like a reminder, like, hey, you know where you came from? And I was like, mm-mm, <laughs> I want nothing to do with it. And so in your 
trying to be so far removed and wanting nothing to do with it, that affected you probably much more than you would think, huh? Yeah. So heading to college, you end up choosing the, the, the small Christian school. What were you going to do with your life? You were going to be a, you decided to work out for a living. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it was weird. Cause I remember when it was in high school and they were like, no, you got to start selecting the area you want to go. And I was like, man, dang. Okay. What am I going to, what am I going to go? And I was like, well, I like to be active. I like to work out, play sports, you know, firefighter. That's the one. They're very active. And then I was like, um, no, because then I realized that, um, I was really uncomfortable in emergency situations. (laughs) (laughs) So is there a fire involved in this one? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not. So I was like, if firefighters just chill around the, whatever you call it, the station, the station, then that'd be dope. But other than that, I'm good. So then there was a part of me deep inside where I was like, you know, you've got to go into ministry. But I only did that because I felt like, like, like I told you, I wanted to please my parents at all costs. I wanted to pay them back somehow. Right. Uh, knowing my dad was in the administrative side, my mom was in the children ministry. And she was a teacher growing up. So I was like, you know, I want to kind of please them. Um, so I was like, but I don't want to be a pastor. That was, that was not my intention. But a lot of times I thought ministry just was being a pastor. So then after talking to some people, they were like, well, you could be a teacher at PE. And I was like, I guess that's fine. I'll do it. I was like, and I kind of looked at what's requirements. So I wanted the easy yeah. degree. Um, so I was like, you know, I, it's four years. That's fine. Um, so I went into it. Took a few classes and they said that my ACT and my uh, grades from high school were trash. And I remember a teacher looked at me and they were like, there's no way you're going to be a teacher based on these scores. Was it a high school teacher or a college professor? College, college professor. And I was like my first couple of weeks there. And I was like, Tight. Thank was, you. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, bet. I was like, that. that's what I need to hear. So then I was like, then I went and talked to other people and they were like, well, this other degree we have, but I don't know how far it's going to get you in the Adventist world, but it's called sports management. I was like, what's the requirements? And they're like, you got to take this class. And one of them was A&P. And I was like, oh, shoot. Like, I hated science. So I was like, I was like, I bet I'll do it. And then, um, but I only did it just because I was like, it's sports related. And I had to take class that's sports and business. Uh-huh. So I took a lot of business classes, but that that was the only reason <laughs> there was no like motive of i want to be this person is know? that is that what you graduated with sports management yeah <laughs> <laughs> i feel like guys that are like you and me um like we were talking about this earlier i don't think i was ever lazy i think that i was like there was stuff stopping me i was scared and like i went through all these different ideas I thought you were going to say you wanted to be a chef because at one point I was like, that sounds like fun. I can be a chef but like something that could be easier because like the hardness of things scared me to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I didn't want to do something that was hard because I right. didn't think I could do it. Um, yeah. I didn't like the pressure of things. Yeah, dude. I really was trying to stay away as far away from pressure. 
and any competitiveness at all. Even though I'm very competitive, um, I looked at others who were way smarter than me. And I, not that I was smart enough, I didn't want to, I want to put as limit energy into anything except sports and working out. That's all I did, but. Yeah, man. So you get there. Um, how was life at the school? Like college is this different thing. And it's like your own, like, I guess maybe an academy, your spiritual life is a concoction of what you believe ish and mostly what they're trying to get you to believe and what you've kind of grown up with. And then you move on to the next level where there's a chance for it to, to become your own. Mm-hmm. Was it becoming your own? And what was it if it was or wasn't becoming your own? I think a little bit, bit of both. Um, definitely felt the freedom and it was very similar to like the orphanage. When I left, I wanted nothing to do with the academy, nor the people in the academy. To the point if I ran into somebody from my old school, I would purposely like not even give them any type of attention. I would just walk past them. And because I had such a resentment for the school. Man, they thought you were a jerk, bro. Oh, I know. Because you yeah. you were, yeah. but sweet person in the inside, but on the outside wearing this mask of don't mess with me. I'm yeah. a hurt dude. I was definitely not approachable by anybody. And I remember this one time I went on a Europe trip uh, for one class and it was a girl that just was in there and she was like, she had this like fear looking when she, every time she approached me. Um, and then we start talking Then we, I start opening up a little bit more, be myself. And then she's like, man, when I first saw you the first week, I was afraid of you. Like, I don't know who you were, what was going on, but you're actually a pretty nice guy. And I was like, I was like, dang. So. This is what others see. Did it make you feel a little gangster? Were you, did you feel no, good about it? Or I felt like, bad. I definitely was like, man, I don't want to be like that. I want to be people to look at me for who I really was. Um, and the reason, a lot of times, the way I carried myself had nothing to do with them. It was me just trying to, it was always trying to hide, trying to go to the next thing. Want nothing to do with the old past. Hmm. So how did it go in college, man? How, like, tell me about it. Yeah, so something that I haven't actually brought up yet that was really important, um, my brother. Uh-huh. Um, when I was in an orphanage, he was like the only thing that I could say was mine. Uh-huh. Um, and he was adopted first. And he meant like the world to me. And me and him were like super close. Um, so then what they did is they told a lady that adopted my brother, that, hey, she was like, I don't have enough cash. Let me come back six months and then I'll pick me, you know. <clears throat> she was going to adopt both of you. Right. Um, but the the orphanage didn't care. They split a lot of families apart. They just wanted quick cash. And these people came from U.S. Mm-hmm. He was adopted by Ukrainian, local. It was cheaper for them. But they had opportunity where they can get more money from the U.S. Um, so they... We adopted, and I remember when I went to Kiev, he lived in Kiev. Mm. So there was about a week I got to spend time with him. And I was on top high cloud, you know, I was mm. like, man, this is it. This is good life. I was my brother, had a new dad, you know. Mm-hmm. But he then dropped me off at the uh, airport. Mm. And I remember going up escalator and then it hit me. Like, I'm not going to see this man again. Mm. And then you know, I broke down crying and um, 
And then the week after that, <coughs> the week after that, um, my, he would call my phone in US and we would talk on the phone, you know, and I would tell him, man, I have a bunk bed, dude. You know, I have this, I have that. And I was kind of just had a good relationship until about a month in my language started to fade. Mm. And he would like get upset, be like, why, why can't you talk to me like the way you used to? And then when it, when I realized that, then I was like, I want nothing to do with my brother. Mm. So I like pushed him away. I would never answer calls, stop calling him, nothing to do with him. Um, until I was 18, um, he followed me on Facebook. And this is when he started to like tell me who my mom was, who our family was. Tell me, hey, you have a sister. Here's her Facebook account. Um, so that's where I'll, all this stuff is when I got in later. Mm-hmm. But all my life, I think there was a need to find like a best friend, somebody that I could say it was mine. Mm-hmm. So because of that, relationship meant a lot to me. Um, and if you let me down, that's it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break right here. To remind you that if you didn't pause this at the beginning to send it to a friend, uh, oh, baby, what is you doing? Send this thing to a friend. Maybe not even this one. I mean, send this one, but send one that's touched your heart. Uh, We want to get this mug out there, and we want you to be a part of it. Uh, And maybe, maybe sending podcasts is weird. I don't think it's weird. People do it all the time. Send the Death to Life podcast to a buddy and and pray about it. That's what I want you to do. That is my request. Let's get back into the podcast. Like I had, I went through a lot of highs and lows where I would have a year or two. I'd be really close with you. Mm-hmm. And then something something went wrong, and I was like, that's it. So in college, I looked at an opportunity with like, I get to now choose my best friend. I get to choose who my friends are. And I was, when I got there, I'd have a bunch of people I was friends with. Um, and again, they started to fade away from me because they, they looked at me. They thought I was a jerk um, until it was, I met this one guy, uh, Sam, you know, and he kind of similar to me. He was very, he carried himself very kind of like distance. Um, mm-hmm. He had a good heart, just like me. He liked sports, all that, but we both carried ourselves very similar. Um, and um, we, that was my first, I guess, real true friend. And we're still friends till this day. But that's awesome. um, I think that's that need I was always looking for. And that's when I met Leslie. Mm-hmm. was my sophomore year through Sam. He was like, hey, this girl, our parents are t- friends. And I was like, oh, hey, what's up? That's it. <laughs> I want nothing to do with really her. I had a girlfriend at that time, um, which she later cheated on me. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, relationships, it's it's always been, like, super, super important for you. Mm-hmm. Um I think they're important to everyone, but it meant a little bit more to you. Yeah. Like it was more on a personal level. It's like sure. where your identity was found. Yeah. 
so you're going through college. You meet Leslie, this other lady, uh, you and her part ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the, who was the guy that, that Leslie was meeting? She. No, she, like speaking of you, like who were you when oh, you oh. ran into her? <laughs> not, not any, like, yeah, yeah. Who, sure. Who's that brand? Um, she said that I was a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you got like a one note in your song, <laughs> jerk. Yeah. No, she said like, she said hi to me and I, I didn't even like act like she was even there. I was like, yeah, what's up? And that was it. And she like, well, that guy's something. Um, and even throughout a whole year's of relation, uh, friendship, she was like, like you, I don't like you. <laughs> like she even contemplated and just stopped being friends with me because she was like, like this guy's not. Hi. Yeah, I said mean things. I would make fun of her all the time. Um, I would constantly try to like rub her in a wrong way because mm-hmm. I knew it was important to her and and. At the time, I thought we were just joking, but to her, she, she later was like, "That that really hurt," you know. Right. Um, but yeah. So, uh, what happened? You guys start dating eventually, or? Uh... Yeah. So, how the story goes, um, I won't go into too much details, but we, after my ex cheated on me. I had this thought, great idea to forgive her and go back with her. Um, and so when I did that, um, she chaired me again. No, she didn't. I know. I mean, how? how Not on Brad. I know. And I remember that, that hurt me so bad. And I realized that rejection is a lot. That's something that, like, you could reject me and two others would be just like, that's fine. For me, it broke me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always could never take rejection well. Um, and that summer, I went and worked at Kim Kalakwa as a photographer. Um, what year was that? 16. I probably, probably 15. I'm old. So all the 15, I 16. Known, I, I yeah. Anyway, after working there, I was telling myself, I was like, um, you know what? I'm going to just live life. You know? So I was just like... These people are hating on me. Yeah. I'm just going to live my life. <laughs> I'm just going to do me. I was broke. I was broken, you know? And I was just like, what is the point? And look, let me just say this. The first two years of college, I had no relationship with God at this point. I would Were say... Were you getting into some wild stuff or not even that wild, just wild nah, for you? I just could care less. My life was, I would wake up skip all my classes, go play ball for four or five hours, work out for an hour, go back, get Taco Bell, and go to bed. That was my routine. Um, and if I go <laughs> to... the dream. Yeah, if I go to class, was, oh, shoot, I have a project, showed up, got a solid B-, minus, walked out, you know. But I didn't... I never went to church throughout the whole two years there. If I went to church, it was just to see who was there, you know, and... um. Or I'd go for Pollux for the food, but that was it. And I would go to Vesper just because, you know, I had to get the yep. signatures. Get your Jesus points. So, yeah. And I would just have a, several people that would go sign for me, and I'd go for them, you know. So, it was just, and now I, I remember I wrote a whole letter to Southern. I was like, you are forced me to go to church for credit. I'm like a grown man 
you're trying to tell me what to do because they were like, you have to have certain points before you can move on. And I was like, bro, this is trash. Um, so when I, that summer, I I had no, I think that was the summer that I lived a certain way with no guilt. Mm-hmm. Negatively with no right. guilt. I was so like numb to what I was doing. Yeah. And well, after that, I didn't really like it. I didn't, um, things I seen, things I did, and I was like, this is not for me. It felt very uncomfortable. Um, uh, I remember I went to, I went to a club one time with my friends and I was sitting there. Um, and it was pitch black, lights, mad loud, you know, and I was watching everybody. I'm like, it was Saturday night, and I was like, dang, this is this is the highlight of their week. They mm. worked all week to this. Just to get drunk, go home. And I uh, had friends that got drunk, and that was not a pretty sight, you know. And I was like, this is not good. Yeah. Like, I wanted to experience it, but I was like, this is not good. And I felt guilty. I even called my dad. I was like, bro, I went to the club. <laughs> what did he say? And he, he didn't get mad. He was just like, oh, how'd it go? You know, and I was like. Was it lit? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really like it. Um, I, that was the first time I, I looked at those people as myself. Like, they were trying to chase something that was from this earth that they could not receive. Mm. And I saw myself in that. And I was like, there's more to life than this. So then after that summer. I had this revival, I guess, with God. And I was like, you know what, God? I'm tired of living this life, tired of chasing, tired of pretending to be somebody I'm not. Like, I want to be a good person. I want to be happy. I want to be, stop being mean to people. Um, like, even at Southern Sports, people knew who I was. But, um, so I told God, I was like, you know what? I'm done with girls. The next girl that I get with, I'm going to marry her. Next one. The next one. That's it. That was the one. And God decided to play a trick on me. And it was like, it's Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> and so how it happened is I came back to school. And I've seen Leslie a bunch of times. You know, I would text her all the time about this girl, that girl. And she walked in and I looked at her completely different. Mm-hmm. She looked attractive to me now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who is this? Because before she was just like, like what was unattractive about her? You just didn't like her? It's not that she was unattractive to me. I mean, she was just like, I didn't see her that way. You know, to me, she was like, she was a close friend. That's it. But when I saw her then, I was like, shoot, I might be catching feelings. (laughs) And I didn't like that. I was scared. Uh I remember I went and I went in the car and I was like, God, this is not what I asked for. (laughs) I was like, this is not. Um, But the feelings would not go away. It was actually getting stronger. So I was like, okay, okay, I've got to go talk to her. So I went up to her and I was like, I have feelings for you. And she just laughed. <laughs> she laughed and was like, um, yeah, okay, good try. You know, she thought I was joking. Uh-huh. So I went a whole month trying to prove to her I was for real. And then she decided to get uh, a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and he was my sweet roommate. And... <laughs> It was her, actually, her first boyfriend freshman year that now she's getting back with. Uh-huh. And I was like, shoot. I'm like, I'm not giving up. I'm going to pursue her till the day I die. And I was so determined. 
I went up to him and I'm like, hey. No, he came up to me and he was like, I heard you like her. I'm like, absolutely, I do. <laughs> <laughs> what of it? And I told her, I told him that I already know how this world's out. I've been here, done that. You think you like her. You think y'all meant to be together. You're not. It's my turn. Step aside. And okay. he was, and he was just like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, yeah, I do. I'm like, I already know how this is going. You're going to be on high for a couple months. Then you're going to start getting the fights, the old fights you used to have and break up back to where you were. And then he was like, no, it's different. I was like, bet. Okay, cool. So two months went by and I still had the strange, same feelings. But then Leslie. She know that? Did she know that? You yeah, yeah. This is an awkward situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there was a time, I think it was like mid-October, she was trying to, she was starting to catch feelings for me, mm-hmm. but she had this guy. So she was like, shoot, I don't know what to do. And her side of the story was, you know, she was, mm-hmm. I guess, trying to see what to do. And um, then I was like, you know what? I need a break from this because it was getting pretty heated. Like I was getting like heartbroken every day, would walk and I see them holding hands walking on campus. And I'd be like, but then the next day she would come and she would be like all nice to me and all sweet to me, telling me how cute I look. And I'm like, what are you trying to do? So I would get like this mixed feelings and I would be like, I need a break. I need to go home. So I just went to my house and I went uh, for a walk with my dad. And I asked, I told him about Leslie. And he was like, you know, the first time I heard about Leslie, you were on the phone with her and you made a joke saying she was going to be your backup. Um, when we, if we didn't find anybody by the age of like 30, we we're going to marry each other. Mm-hmm. That was our joke. Sure. Yeah. But the way I talked to her, he said, I never talked about anybody that way. And, um, he said, the best thing to do is just give her space. So I was like, all right, I will. So I went back and I literally gave her space and she started to have problems with this guy. You know, they started a fight until they broke up. Um, and then, I wasn't trying to come in and just swoop in, you know. So I was like, I'm going to give her space. And then um, I had to pick her up from a Atlanta airport. And it was like one in the morning. Um, you you picked her up from the Atlanta airport while she was dating another guy? Well, by this this time they broke up. Oh, okay. I it was, was about like, to say. This beginning of second semester. <laughs> this beginning of second semester. And she needed to be picked up. I was like, I got you. I had a car. I'll pick you up. Um, and we were, I picked her up. Um, and then we started heading home in Atlanta and it was raining hard. And then middle of the highway, our car did a whole 360. It lost control. Um, and the way it happened, it, my car was literally on it, on its way to hit the, the side and then it just stopped and then went backwards. Oh, mercy. Like it was a whole, I, it was a miracle that we didn't, we had not even scratch. Oh, just going up I-75, you just yeah. did a complete. In the middle of everybody, and then we stopped facing the traffic coming towards us. No. So then we pulled aside, and I remember we embraced each other, and we both felt this, like, it, that we needed to be in each other's lives. Like, that was the moment. Like, let's get married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was It was just this bond that we just felt. And then we were just like, yeah, we we went back. That I, We didn't even transition into talking stage. We just started hanging out as if like we were together because mm-hmm. we've been friends for like two, three years. We already knew who we were. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's. And then you were on the road to, to her being Mrs. Russell then. Yeah. 
but it was awkward the first two years. <laughs> we we very we hid because of the her image on sure. campus. But so as you guys are getting closer to graduation, are she are you guys in the same class? Yeah, we graduate together. Uh, and you're serious about like um, each other. Mm-hmm. Is uh, the way you want to live and God in your life? Is that becoming different? Like now that you're going to really, really be on your own. Right. Were you like, talk to me about that. Were you starting to take it more serious? So, yeah. Um, my parents would say, Leslie saved me. <laughs> That's how they look at Leslie. Um, that she was like my savior. Um, I would say she definitely reminded me of a God that I first fell in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I necessarily not did those things for her, but I just agreed with her. Mm-hmm. So I, I participated in going to church and having prayers and all this stuff. But I wouldn't say me and her had this tight relationship. You know, we were that couple who was like, we want to be a godly couple. So we had books and we tried to do that. And it never, sure. it never really worked out. We never. You try it. You're like, we're yeah. going to do, yeah. we're going to study the Bible together and then. Right. But let's make out instead. Of <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, and then we graduated, and it was that time where it then hit me that she she lives in Chicago, I live in Charlotte, um, so we just went back home, and then I realized I can't do anything, I cannot do anything with my degree. I really can't. Like the guy this degree, I'm gonna be a manager at Taco Bell with this yeah. degree. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Well, I remember when I came back, um since the beginning of freshman in high school, I would have these symptoms of anxiousness, but I didn't know what it was. I couldn't rely it was symptoms of like panic. Like I was in danger. And I could never I thought it was my fault. So the the eight years that I've lived, I would have these good and bad. Um, events um, like the graduation I didn't eat I would be like hiding in my room because I didn't I was so afraid um, but when I went home after graduating the fear overwhelmed me so much not knowing what I was going to do with my life that I went in complete depression for like two months lost like 20 pounds didn't eat for like weeks and I couldn't I was so scared to even go to the bathroom or even leave the room Wow. That was how bad it was. This is right after college. Yeah. And then when I went and started talking to people, they're like, you have such things as like anxiety. I was like, what is that? <laughs> what? Yeah. And, and then after therapy and we got into conversations, they, we started really, I, I had to, I forced myself to talk about the orphanage and all this stuff and mm-hmm. um, the roots of how it has affected me. And um, so I had to get help. You know, I had to get on medication, all this stuff. And was the, was the medication the answer or was there like you working through it with the counselor, the answer, and they're like, also take this medication. No, I, I felt the counseling was whack because it was just kind of like complain to me, tell me what you really feel, how you really feel. But there was never an answer. They were just like, Hmm, that's sad. Tell me more. And I'm like, <laughs> this is whack, you know? <laughs> and I didn't feel any type of healing from that. Um, so around that time, though, I got a call to work as an assistant dean up at um, SVA, yeah. yeah. 
And then at the time I was like, oh shoot, I could, I could do that. You know, it's still in ministry. I could play sports with them, you know. It's interesting how when we're young people, then something like you're in academy, you're like, man, I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. I don't like this at all. And it's like four years later and you're like, I can do that. I know that world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. hated it when I was there, but maybe it'll be different because now I'm in charge. Right. I definitely had the motivation to be the change or to create something different in there. Um, which you're going to reinvent the deaning wheel. Right. Um, but working there, I still had to fight against a lot of anxieties and stuff. And then I realized that I think the medication definitely kicked in around that time is then I started to feel better. Um, but then after um, I was done that year, I was like, it was just a one-year contract, you know, it was a task force. So Were you I, good at being a dean? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, again, the kids there looked at me as a little jerk, you know, like. Because you might. I maybe, might. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, a, yeah. you were a little bit of a jerk. <laughs> no, they, they really looked at me like I could care less. And when I really did, I really, I think there's deep inside, I really did try my hardest. Sure. But it always came out wrong. It always came across as very negative, very like cockiness, I guess, you know. And, but I still felt like, you know what? I still believe this is where I want to be in ministry, you know. I still had this deep desire that, no, ministry is where I want to be. Um, then I decided then I had to, oh, well, there's a job opening up at Auburn over in Seattle, mm-hmm. opened up to be a flag director and they rejected me saying, no, you know, mm-hmm. we went with another person and I took that really hard because I was just like, man, I have a sports degree, went in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so then I, I had to go back to school. I had to go back to school and that's something I did not like. Uh, that idea because I hated school so much. Mm-hmm. But at this time, me and Leslie kind of broke up mm-hmm. because we we're having a lot of issues long distance. And and I was really trying hard to like fix this. So then I called Southern and I said, hey, I want to come back, get my teacher certification. They said, no, <laughs> you you have bad scores. And I was like, come on, guys, like, I'm, I can do it. You know, I, I've been here for four years. I already have a degree. And they're like, no. I was like, all right, but, and then I called Andrews and they're like, coming in, you're good. I was like, all right, cool. But it's financially, it was really hard. So my dad had to help a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went there, I got to, at that point is when I realized that um, it was really meant to be that I had to go there. Because if I got the job in Seattle, who knows where me and Leslie would have been. So you're you're up at Andrews, um, you and her like we, did, we, it wasn't a break. Like you guys were broken up, broken up. In my eyes, I was like, this can't be it. In her eyes, later she told me that she knew she wasn't broken up, but under the label, yes, we yeah. were broken up. So while you were up there, you guys reconnected. Yeah, I hit her up and I was like, hey, we've got to fix these things. Uh, we got to talk to somebody, and so we hit up a pastor that kind of knew uh, Leslie pretty well and me uh, so we went and talked to them and then we talked and he was kind of like you guys are ready to get married <laughs> <laughs> how long had you guys been broken up uh, about a month oh okay Several i thought weeks. this was like a long time <laughs> no nah, it was very short um but 
because he asked me like, what in your eyes, Bradley, what is, when do you think you're ready to be married? I'm like, I don't think you're ready. I think you just come together wherever you are at in life and then you move and you grow together wherever you are financially, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leslie had this view where you had to have like X, Y, Z fixed. Uh-huh. And um, so he was like, no, he was telling, he had a story where he's like, when we got married, the only thing we had is like, we had to split a banana between me and my wife. <laughs> and he was like, that was beautiful because we got to grow in that and we got to share those memories. And then we build what we have now together. That's what I was saying to my, my buddy Christian. Mm-hmm. I was like, you're poor, but you're poor together. That's where you start yeah. out. You know what I'm saying? Right. So then she was like, oh, shoot, you know? And I was like, I was like, so I remember my dad would tell me that waiting too long to get married could cause more issues than waiting longer. Um, there's, there's some wisdom in that. Yeah. So we were like, okay, well, maybe we are ready. Um, so then I went ahead and proposed to her. Um, and she said, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> and then I finished college or that year as we were planning for our wedding together. So this is, this is not too long ago then. Uh, no, it's like three, three, four years ago. Yeah. So as you are, let's just, let's jump ahead a little bit. Mm-hmm. You guys get married. Mm-hmm. You see the benefit of God, right? You're like, God is mm-hmm. good. Right. Uh, and so the way you talk and think it's changing. Yeah. No. Yeah. How so? Yeah. Explain that a little bit. So definitely I, um, I remember before I got married, I was so determined to fix some things in my life to, I was like, I don't want to be this person. I want to be so negative. So anger at this time, I was still holding a lot of anger. Um, and a lot of, um, I think to add here is that I had, I was taking a lot of medication. I kind of gave up on my physique and my, I gained like 40 pounds. So I started really hating myself physically, how mm-hmm. I looked because then I would have people who knew me be like, Oh, dang, Brad, you. You really got lazy. You stopped. You've been too how big, how big were you? Were you bigger? Like you were just a big dude. No, I was fat. I was fat. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't know how big, but if you're looking at the body fat percentage, I was fat yeah. <laughs> and I hated myself for that. And, um, so there was a lot of anger again, back to uh-huh. myself. And, but again, I was still so determined to, I was like, I have to get my life right before I get married. Cause now I'm not just. I'm here for myself. Now I've got a wife now sure. that I've got to take care of and I've got to be the best version. And yeah. yeah. So that's the mindset. for sure. Right. Yeah. Whether it's healthy or not, that's yeah. a different question, but so you were going for it then. Yeah. And we got married and I had to still finish off a semester and it was my student teaching mm-hmm. and financially it was just Leslie working and we had to come up with like, Two thousand something dollars, and then I got a scholarship from Andrews with that exact amount. Oh, praise the Lord! As I was trying to finish, me and Leslie were going through a lot in our marriage that first six months. Um, marriage didn't solve the no. problems, did it? No. And the re- real reason now, looking, knowing where I'm at now, it was all these unspoken expectations that was hovering over us, where mm-hmm. she had, well, you're supposed to be doing this, and I had this, well, you're supposed to be doing that. And there was just a lot of, oh, man, we had really bad fights that were just like, 
life sucks here. And we were just in a one-bedroom apartment and just not happy, really. Up in Berrien Springs. Yeah. Gray all the time. <laughs> well, South Bend, yeah. Uh, but it was bad. And then I remember we got into our counselor, our marriage counselor, and he checked up on us. And he was like, he kind of ignored all of our problems. And mm-hmm. he was like, y'all need Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's her fault. It's his fault. Yeah. Y'all just need like he, Jesus. He literally ran, listened to us rant. And he was just like, okay, here's what we're going to do. He's like, you're going to go on this like three month thing where you're just going to pray for each other and you're just going to read, have a personal relationship alone, not together, just alone and just go there. Just see how that is. Uh And we did that. Uh And I say our marriage did improve. Obviously it was very like, we started to realize our anger started to calm down and we were in a better position to talk about things and, but it didn't solve. Mm-hmm. There were still after that things still come came up, mm-hmm. and we were like it was a cycle. Sure. And Leslie was in a part place where she was just like I I don't know what to do, you know maybe this is just it is what it is, you know. And I was the same. I was just like at first I was really w- willing to fight and try fixes it. Now I just didn't. I was like it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um. Then I got a job to come at Tennessee mm-hmm. uh, to be a teacher. And then we were there for a year. Um, it was an elementary school and it was, it was okay. It was good. I think I really enjoyed it during that year, but I still felt like something was missing in my heart. Mm-hmm. And even in my marriage, I still felt like there was still a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we ran into this guy that next, some beginning of next year, uh, named Rich. <laughs> I don't know if you know him, but, um, he, caught us trying to be the good Christians, you know, greeting people in the church. And we didn't like doing that, but we felt like we had to do some part in the church. And you were, uh, start talking to somebody nearby about this whole freedom and Leslie overheard. And then she later came up to me. It's like, Oh, do you know that guy rich? Maybe he could help us. Maybe there's something that he could offer us. I was like, nah, (laughs) I'm like, it's just a guy. (laughs) What I had known about you, and I didn't know very much about you. Like, oh, that's the teacher, and that there was like this new Mm -hmm. teacher. And um, we had never met, I don't think. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, when I was was talking to Scott Miller, I remember this. Mm -hmm. And I saw Leslie listening, and I'm like, oh, she's. And so I just started going ham on some gospel. I don't even Mm -hmm. know. Oh, I think I started telling my story. Yeah, yeah. And when I tell my story, people are like, why is he saying all this crazy <laughs> stuff? So she's like, um, he could help us. Yeah. Because then I kind of directed some towards her. Yeah. Because I knew she was listening. Mm-hmm. And you were just like, nah, fam, I'm I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he's just a, he's not a pastor. He's not. A, what does he have to like offer? Us? Did you guys know, like, we still there's something or was it yeah. unsaid or was it like something like you guys were talking about? I think it was both. I think we we're in this place and leslie could say her part but she was very um unhappy or just numb to the cycle that we were living in like there was no growth there was no life um we weren't bonding in intimate way or anything it was just kind of like we were just cruising well i remember you 
I don't know if we hit you up or you hit us up, but regardless, you... No, this is what happened. Yeah. See, because I have the memory. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know if it was a work bee or something where I had to to help uh, my bro Jaime move some things, and you needed help moving some things from your classroom up to your storage level. Right. And so... um, we start talking about golf. We start yep, talking yep. about basketball. Just you know, bros. Mm-hmm. How bros talk. Just like they're feeling each other out. Like who's this guy? Mm-hmm. Who's this guy? And I was like, I'm about to throw this dude off a little bit. And I felt, I felt like I knew you. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I knew you because you looked like I looked mm-hmm. when I was your age, newly married, and struggling mm-hmm. um, in my marriage. And so I think I just came out with some stuff about, hey, man, God can heal you from this, this, and this, and this. And I named some stuff. Like for me, God had, uh, you know, stuff with addiction for me, stuff with uh, com, And so I just said all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And when I say this stuff to young men, I I act like. I'm the only one who's possibly dealing with this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I know you can't relate, but in my mind, I'm like 99.7% mm-hmm. of dudes are going to relate with what I'm saying, right. but I'm giving them an out so that they don't have, they can just be like, Oh, good for you, bro. Mm-hmm. And if the Holy spirit impresses them, then, um, then, then we can talk about it. And that's what I said to you. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you, do you remember, like, how did you feel when I started? I felt uncomfortable. I'm like, why is this guy talking to me about this stuff? Like, <laughs> I I always feel uncomfortable when people open up like that to me. Because I was just like, if you're trying to get me to open up, I'm not going to go there. But uh, I definitely felt very uncomfortable. Because I've never had, I've never seen anybody openly is like, I struggle with porn. And then you're just like, oh, you know, like, that's on a hush thing. That's not something to mention out in the open. So that was like one of the first times you'd ever heard someone speak like that. Only, only people that come up for the weekend and had like a revival weekend. Somebody spoke up front in church or on at Southern. They had a whole like vespers thing about it, but that was it. Nobody growing up or even personal. That's not something you out loud say. So when I left, it was like that dude is a weirdo. I was curious. I think there was a little curiosity of like, how can that be, man? How can he be so confident saying that and not affect his reputation? Yeah, you didn't know what happened. To me yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was kind of like, wow, like that's that's crazy, that's wild. But and so yeah, and then we, I, I had just moved down here, and so I was trying to move carefully, but I was like, for some reason, I was like, no, I, this dude, like this dude mm-hmm. needs what. Like yeah. some living water, like this guy, like I knew you were a good guy and I knew you were protecting some stuff, but I didn't know obviously mm. what I know now. Mm. And so, um, I don't know. I think I t- texted you or called you or something. I was like, yeah, let's meet up. Yeah. I think you're like, Hey, how'd you feel about having a Bible study? I was like, sure. Why not? And Leslie was more excited than I was. And then you were like, let's meet at your class. And I was like, all right, babe, let's go. And then we went up there and met and it's when you start open up Romans, things like six or five. Yeah. And you start reading it and I was just like hearing you read it, I was just like, Hold up, he's reading it wrong. He what's he saying is not can be what the book said. And I mean I was reading it for myself as well. And then 
you start sharing, open up, and they start asking questions. And I was like, I was very offended, I think, <laughs> as a lot of people probably are here in the first time. But I was definitely like a little upset because I felt like it was a easy way out for what how he was approached. Like, hey, I have all these struggles. I've been through all this stuff in my life. But that wasn't me that now I have a new life. Like God, like that resurrection part, I felt like it was just a way to make excuses for the lifestyle that you've lived hmm. and the struggles you lived. And I remember after we, we talked for like 45 minutes and I'm sure what I said was pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, and we were leaving and you went to the bathroom and I thought Leslie was kind of jiving with what I was saying. Mm. And I turned to her and I was like, yo, you think he gets it? And she was like, he's struggling to get it. <laughs> but I could tell that she was about it. Mm -hmm. Like it sounded like really good news to her. Yeah. Um, she heard something different that she's never heard in, in her life. And I remember that was something that built her curiosity. But for me, you knew something I didn't. I read that passage before, then nothing clicked to me. So to me, it was, again, competition. I was very like, who are you to tell me what this means? Because at me, I looked at any Bible study this way. Bible study is not about speaking facts. It was hearing people's opinions. Hmm. So when people said, oh, this meant this was powerful because I think this is what this means. I'm like, all right, that's a good look. And somebody like, well. This is my view. And I'm like, okay, that's good. And people are like, mm hmm. You know, to me, it was just like hyping something up. And I'm like, what is the truth? Hmm. Like, I want to, I don't want to hear your perspective, how this did to your life. I want to hear what it actually means. Mm -hmm. So to me, when you were saying those things, I was just like, another person speaking his side of perspective. That's it. So then what happened after that? Um, I believe I couldn't let it go. I remember after you said it, I could not get it out of my mind. It was like 24 seven. It was just, I was thinking about it, thinking about it. And I was just like, it sounds too good to be true. Like it can't. And then I started reading for myself. And then as I was reading, as I was reading, it was like a struggle. It was like this battle where something was like, did not want to let go. And another part was like literally trying to like break free. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know what it is or if it's true or not, but something was different about it. And I remember I would fight and struggle with it for many months. And it wasn't until like November um, where I just woke up and it was just like, boom. Cause you were talking with Elias a little bit about it. Yeah. Um, what do you think that was the big offensive thing that you were so like, I don't like that this is so different. And what was the difference? I didn't like that. I, there's nothing that I could perform. My performance was so important to me that you're telling me that all the times that I've tried so hard to be and to gain something means nothing. I think in that first meeting, I said something like, do you understand that nothing you have ever done mm -hmm. decides if you will be in heaven or not. Yeah. And you, that you didn't, that didn't sit well with you. No. Cause I mean, my whole life has been about fighting. It's about getting my respect, getting 
what I deserve is always a like uphill battle. And for you to say like, oh, you can, you can get off the mountain and just chill and you already have it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't like that, you know? And, um, but then as I remember, I don't know when it was, I really can't tell you how or when I literally just felt like a burn just was like, it almost like the spirit finally just cut loose whatever burn I was feeling. And all of a sudden I felt super light. And then I was like, I don't get it, but this is good news. <laughs> this is. And that's when we started kind of meeting together at the mm-hmm. Sabbath school. And you're like, oh, okay, explain this to me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that you had been upset for a couple months. I had a hard heart where I, at the same time, didn't want to even learn. But once I felt something different, I actually felt that release. Then I was like, I want to know more. I want to actually know deeper what it actually means. And I want to know more about how this applies to me. And like, what, what are the ties that can be untied? Hmm. Because all my life I've had like so many strings attached to everything that I literally felt like I was just a puppet (laughs) in this world. Like I was here just to work hard and I felt like my perspective was like, if I was to get run over and killed, cool, it's over. But I didn't want to die, but I was so at a place where if I was to get put out, I'd finally be at peace. So then what do you feel like you started to learn as, as the months started passing and, and things about the gospel that started to open up to you? Well, first time is when I started looking at Leslie different. No longer she was my enemy or somebody against me. I looked at her as somebody who was for me. And even in her worst ways of saying it or expressing it to me, I saw her true intention. Hmm. And I started seeing people different. I started looking at somebody who was upset and I actually could see why they were like that. And my vision, it was kind of like when your eyes are open, you could finally see that's how it was. And I started looking at things in my life and other people's lives. And I was just like, this is, there's a battle that's happening underneath that has nothing to do with me. Hmm. And I'm just, it sucks that I'm just part of the middle of it, but it's not because of me. And then I, I think in, I don't know, in one of our conversations, I told you about my, my buddy. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're like, Oh, I know that dude. Um, (laughs) you didn't say his name. You're just start telling me a story. And I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I know him personally. (laughs) Uh, and we're talking about Eduardo Cornejo. And, um, when you started hearing about that, what hit you about? Oh, it made sense. When you actually told me the other side, cause I only heard to the point of just the bad part and that's it. I didn't hear the other side. When you said the other side, knowing this, I'm like, that's literally the only way that could have ever made sense. Hmm. Is this. What do you mean, like, made sense? Like, that they could be reconciled yeah. or something? You could never be like, oh, it's because of therapy. It was because of this or that. No. It's, it's a supernatural thing that happened that you cannot explain. But it makes sense why it went the way it did. So, for me, I was like, man... This stuff is real. <laughs> yeah. This is the, literally the things that you read in the Bible. 
where people say this man was set free. All these people that had these revelations in their life that you think, oh, that's good for them in the Bible. But I was that you only just put them, leave them in the Bible. You don't actually put them in a thing like this is a real thing that could happen here and now. And so one day you just like you just realized, oh, this is my story too. Yeah. I started looking at myself different. I no longer feel sorry for myself. <laughs> this this idea, I think one of the first ideas that it, you tell me if I'm wrong, that you mm-hmm. were grabbing onto is this idea that you aren't a sinner. Yeah. Tell me about how that hit you. I think because deep inside, I never wanted to do any of the things I've done in my past. And I just participated, but it was not because I wanted to. And then the fact that you said I was not a sinner is all of a sudden that label of that I'm constantly going to struggle the rest of my life has vanished. And I started looking at myself in a different way, in a different picture of that. I am, by God's view, he's not disappointing me. He's not looking at me like, I'm going to wait till he gets it. I'm going to wait till he gets it right and lived a certain life. No, this man looks at me and he's like, that's my dude. Mm. Now. Like, he don't care what I did. And then I remember reading about, like, um, what's the story of the son? The prodigal, prodigal son. son, yeah. I reread that, and I was like, oh, my word. <laughs> That's me. Hmm. Because before, I used to just feel bad and be upset. Like, man, that guy got away with all this stuff, and I didn't ever understood it. But then I put myself in then myself, and I was like, dang. God is just literally waiting to for me to come. In his arms, not that I had to work to gain his love. Cause that's all my, all I knew was that I had to one, show him how true, uh, how, uh, what's the word? I looked at him how I had to prove to him that I was serious, that I loved him and that I was thankful for his death. And the other thing I had to show him how serious I was that I loved him. So my whole life has been based on performance, based on, well, I'm sorry, God, let me show you how sorry I am. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a couple things that kind of stood out to me and that I knew like, man, this is changing his perspective. One of them is that you wanted everybody to know, like you Mm -hmm. were talking about it, telling people about it. Um, (laughs) And I was like, be careful though, you know, like uh, you got to take it easy. And then another thing is like sin became so obvious to you mm-hmm. um, in your life where I remember having a conversation with you and you were like, oh, this thing happened over here and um, this has caused Leslie to be upset. But you were looking at it from a completely different mm-hmm. lens. Mm-hmm. And I remember I also had a conversation with Leslie one day about it. And I was like, you know, you're good, right? Mm-hmm. Even if Bradley is still figuring some things out. You know, you're good. This Mm -hmm. doesn't say anything about you. Mm -hmm. And seeing her consider if she could accept that Mm -hmm. to be true. Um, Talk to me about like when you started, like how this made things in that area clear. With Leslie? Yeah. Like if you messed up, you wouldn't run off and hide and hate yourself. Right. I... When If I ever messed up or anything, I didn't know if I could go and tell Leslie. She would not 
shame me or look at me any different than if I didn't do it. Hmm. She and before she used to. Oh yeah, she would take it personally. She would definitely feel like oh, I did something for him to do that, hmm. or like it was her fault, or she's doing something wrong for me to do what I did. Uh, but this time, I remember there's there's times where she just straight up says things that I'm just like, mm, I know you're right, but I don't want to hear that right now. Right. You know, just like that in any arguments. Like I would sometimes lash out on her or something, and she would just sit there and just be like, No, that's not true. And I'd be like, I know she's right, <laughs> you know, but at the moment, then later I, after cooling off, I'm like, no, you were right. My bad, you know, but our arguments are no longer fights. Mm-hmm. And our arguments is not even against each other. Now we're actually trying to figure things out together, together. Yeah. But we're not looking in a view of each other. Like we're trying to go against each other and trying to make this hard on ourselves. But we actually look at like, we love each other a lot. And sometimes how we look at itself, how our love and our care for each other comes across as very wrong Mm -hmm. because we're trying to prove to each other something. Reality is we should already be set knowing who we are. So you've been walking in this thing now a year and a half. It's not a short time. It's about 18 months or so. Yeah. But it's not a long time. At first, there was like this threat that this was just like a fad or this was a spiritual high or something. Mm -hmm. As you're sitting in this thing and you're just growing in it more and more and more, what is, like, do you see it as just like, oh, this spiritual high that I experienced this, you know, a couple years ago? Or how are you viewing it as you're walking in in the truth of the gospel? I think that part where you mentioned is when I first got it. I looked at it from an Adventist perspective. Every time you hear something good, you've got to go and spread. And for me, I looked at it as like, this could work for this person. This is good for that person. And it took me about solid nine, ten months to realize this is about me. (laughs) (laughs) This is for me. And there was, there was, oh man, there's times where I put myself as like in a higher position because I knew this. And I would ask a question to somebody and they would answer the wrong way or the the old way of thinking. And I'd be like, (laughs) just wait, I got something to blow your mind. Mm -hmm. And they would not receive it the way. And I mean, I mean, why not? Because the way I did it, you know, and, and it would make it, I realized that it took me a while to realize that, no, this is, this is me. This is me and, and God. This is not me learning something that I can now write send to a friend, you know? So that was when I first time actually felt the spirit discipline me in a way that I didn't feel guilt or shame. Mm -hmm. Because before I felt, oh, I'd feel so bad. I'd be like, oh man, you know? But now I felt that discipline and I was very receiving it personally. And it was not from a personal aggressive of like, man, I feel bad for myself. It's more of like, I appreciate it that God made me aware of it. And that's how it is till today's day. If I do something wrong and I feel some type of way and I mess up and then a thought came up, I'm very appreciative. I, I get very excited when the spirit reveals things to me and I'm just like, okay, <laughs> you know, because before I used to think I have to, when I got this, I was like, man, I've got to figure all my life. <laughs> yeah. Like there's one time I, the biggest part 
that blew my mind that I finally realized what it actually meant is one day I was in my office and I was like, man, I'm, I don't know if I get it, you know, cause I'm still messing up. I should be free, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I bet it's because I was an orphan. So I started writing down what are the lies that attach to being an orphan. So I started writing down in the middle of my sentence. I heard, but you're not an orphan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I stopped and I was like, what am I doing? Like, I need to believe that's already been done and rest in that, even though it may not look in front of my eyes. Hmm. So now if I see me messing up, like I said, I don't, I don't take it personally. I grow and move on knowing that God has done what he has had to do. Wow, man. And so, um, I think about, this story I heard real recently, and it's of this, uh, maybe you've heard me tell it, but it's Bob Dylan, and Bob Dylan was this folk singer, very mm-hmm. popular in the early 60s, and folk is it's pretty, uh, pretty narrow genre. Mm. But one day he picks up like an electric guitar, but he doesn't mm. think there's no one around. It's not on Facebook or Instagram. It's the 60s. And he starts practicing, he starts playing this electric guitar, and at one of his shows, he's doing his folk music, but then he pulls out this electric guitar, and if if uh, if you know the, the folk music scene, someone coming out and pulling out an electric guitar is like, it's like, that's not it. And so he starts playing this song, and people start booing and hissing, and they're like, because this is, this is an affront to folk music. Mm-hmm. And when he finishes his song... And I actually, you can find this on YouTube. Uh, people are booing and it gets kind of quiet. And you hear this guy said, yell out, you're Judas. And Bob Dylan says into the mic, I don't believe you. <laughs> and he turns to the band and he says, Let's play this one really loud. And he turns around and he says back to the guy, you're a liar. (laughs) And he starts playing the music that much Mm -hmm. louder. And I think that's what has happened in our lives. Mm -hmm. Like the enemy has accused us of something, Mm -hmm. even though every accusation for a Christian is a false accusation. Even mm-hmm. even if we actually did the thing, but there's no condemnation for us because we're in Christ. Mm-hmm. And you've been living, had been living your whole life accused of all of these different things, mm-hmm. of being less than because you were this, this, and this. Less than because your original parents. Less than because, you know, gr- whatever. It's all added up to less than, less than, less than. Mm-hmm. But it's all been lies mm-hmm. from Jump Street. Yeah. And when you're sitting there writing out this thing about you being an orphan, it's more like you get stopped in that moment. You're like, oh, no, he's a liar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not attached to those. Yeah, I don't believe you, bro. Yeah. Um, what do you feel like you're growing in just right now? Uh, recently, I have been uh, getting back. And the anxiety started to approach me again. Uh, I stopped medication and then my anxiety came way back and I got to experience it way different. I didn't attach it to like, this is me, 
Before, if I have an anxiety, I used to think, oh, I'm not believing hard enough. Oh, I have, there's some things I'm believing in my mind, doubts that causing my anxiety. But then I realized that the symptoms I have is not me or yeah. attached to me. So there was times I remember I would like not sleep for like a week because of the symptoms of panic attacks and stuff. And I'll be laying there and I'll just be praising God mm-hmm. saying, I'm glad this is not me. And I'm in mind and heart at rest while my body is at war. <laughs> yeah, man, that's the spirit of fear. And God hasn't given you a spirit yeah. of fear. And so we can condemn that in Jesus's name. Yeah. That spirit of fear, bro. Let me, uh, should we get Leslie? Should we just wrap it up? You could try. See where maybe she's she asleep. I don't know what I would ask her. It would probably be more for her. So maybe. Yeah. So, bro, as we're wrapping this up, man, I guess the thing that sticks out in my mind is just this. I don't know, man. It breaks my heart a little bit, but this sweet kid who wants to be enough really, really cares so much about relationships. Mm-hmm. Like your brother, this is so big for you and all mm-hmm. these things. If you get to pull this kid aside, he's on the eighth parent group that has come to visit him and pull mm-hmm. him aside and say, like to check, to check you to see if this guy, mm-hmm. can we bring him over to be our son or whatever. If you got to pull that kid aside and just pour life into him, what would you tell that kid? back in the, the orphanage man I would say that I already have a father and I've already been chosen it's powerful man yeah you're chosen huh yeah what's the rest of your life gonna look like now just more more love bro yes more love thanks bro Waking up to no memory. Your love is all I need. It's only you, it's only me. Waking up to no memory. Your love is all I need. I feel it.
Gospel Junkies, Justin here, and I have some good, good news. If you've been a fan of the podcast for any length of time, you've probably heard mention of this thing that's called Wave One, and we're bringing it back. Here are the details. August 18 to 25, we will be hosting a completely digital Wave One experience, the original Free From Sin series with the one and only Jonathan Leonardo every single night. At 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, we will be hosting a live Free From Sin Wave One event, and it's happening, you guessed it, for free. So book your calendars, tell your friends because the Holy Spirit is on the move. The event will be invite only, which means if you want the link, you need to do this next step. Text the words WAVE1 to 808-204-4372. That's W-A-V-E-1, all one word, to 808-204-4372 in order to reserve your spot. If you have a friend that needs good gospel, this is the event for them. Who even knows, maybe you inviting them to Wave 1 might be the starting point for a future DTL episode. So spread the word, and I'll see you there.